I'd say one of the two major heartbeats of Manchester is music, the other being football. It's such a pleasure to be a part of this and to be a part of such a, a you know, such a great community. I guess it's um, like a family base now, isn't it? It's just having that, I think, support and you can just see other people around you that need you as much as you need them. You know, the fitness side's a massive bonus. But yeah, I just, I just wanted to go and just make some new mates, and I have. They're all part of it because they've all promoted what we're about and that whole ethos, which is, which is amazing. As has been said in introductions to previous episodes, the Happy Sundays podcast is very much built on real people with real stories to tell. We've always said as well that the podcast should act as a platform to give a voice to those who otherwise wouldn't have one in order to help them raise awareness of causes that are close to their heart. My next guest reached out to us directly herself a few weeks back asking to do just that. Kelly Jones sat down with me recently to discuss and raise awareness of baby loss as Kelly unfortunately has lived experience of this not just once but twice. In an emotional and heart-wrenching episode, Kelly details what happened on both occasions, the support she received and how even in the darkest of times she will never give up hope. As mentioned, Kelly reached out to us directly herself to ask to do this and her strength throughout is absolutely commendable. October 9th to October 15th is Baby Loss Awareness Week and throughout the week and beyond, amazing charities such as Tommy's and Sam's will be helping families affected by baby loss and raising awareness of the amazing work that they do. If you or someone you know has been affected by baby loss, please check out the links in the description and across our social media pages for further help and guidance. This is a very real, very taboo subject, so listener discretion is advised and please do only proceed if you are comfortable listening about the issues that are raised. Kelly, welcome to the Happy Sundays podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Thank you very much for for doing this. I know that I know this is something that you actually reached out and asked us to do. A few people have reached out and asked us themselves in the past. Um, we have acted upon it, and upon you doing so, I thought, you know what? Yep, yeah, that's uh, let, let's get you on because I know that what you want to talk about is a very personal thing that you've gone through and I know that you wanted to sort of give yourself a platform to be able to talk about it quite openly yep definitely so is this a sort of thing have you is this a new experience for you've done anything like this before never done anything like this before one thing that we've done in pretty much every episode is we will always welcome someone who wants to basically give themselves a voice so the subject that we're going to cover today is quite sensitive I know that it's still pretty raw for you, but you've said that you don't mind talking about it. However, as I said before we started recording, if you do need to stop at any point, you need us to skip over anything, just tell me and we can do so, okay? Yeah, that's great. You are here to talk about your personal experience and your journey through loss and how this has affected not just you, but those around you as well. So you've got to tell us a little bit about your journey. I know, I know that and about some of the experiences that you've gone through over the last couple of years. So what I want to do firstly, Kelly, if it's okay, I just want to go back to uh, 2020. So you and your now husband, Mike, you have your first child in the November. Yeah, we did, yeah. 22nd of November, smack in the middle of lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, because that's a pandemic baby, isn't it? 
So he was a pandemic baby, yeah. Yeah. So so what was that like? Because I had I have friends and family members have babies uh, around that time, and they were saying that the father wasn't allowed in the room with them. Um, they weren't allowed any visitors. What was all of that sort of like for you so, then? The weird thing is for us, we'd never done it before. So for us, that's the only experience. Um, he wasn't allowed to any scans, any appointments with myself. You literally had to go on your own. Um, it was all obviously mask wearing. You had to sanitise your hands on the way in. They checked your temperature on the way in, the way out. And even when I had to have specialist scans towards the end of the pregnancy, and I noticed fathers going in. So it was just about the time when things were opening back up again, just for right. the summer. And I was like, oh, can he come in? And they were like, oh, no, because yours is a specialist scan. Theirs is a routine, so he can't come in. And I was like, what? So, um, yeah, and then come to the birth, I ended up having, I ended up spending like nearly six days in hospital. Um, the baby just didn't want to come out. He was just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, he was allowed to, I ended up having an emergency C-section. He was allowed to the section. And about three hours later, he got told he had to leave because of COVID. I mean, personally, like, he's already been there for three hours. <laughs> Another few hours wouldn't have meant any different. But, yeah. yeah, it was all video call, all on, you know, friends and family weren't allowed. And he wasn't even allowed in to pick me up. I had to go outside, so I had to get somebody to carry the baby because, obviously, after a C-section, I can't get down three floors so that I could actually meet him at the door. That just, I mean... I've seen from the outside in, as I said, that, you know, friends and family members had had babies and children around that time. And it did seem very bizarre, but hearing it like that, the fact he wasn't even allowed to any of the scans or anything either, I thought it might have just been the birth that he might have said, oh no, you know, just because, you know, obviously newborn baby, but the scans and everything as well, that's... Because surely yeah, so if you're living together, you're in the same bubble, if you like, surely I would have thought that would have been allowed, but... What do I know, eh? Yeah, honestly, it was bizarre. And like I said, the, the specialist scans are no different scans. It just means you get extra scans. They're in the same rooms. So I couldn't understand the logic of just because I'm 24 weeks and the next lady's 20 weeks, why they get their husband and I don't. It was just totally bizarre. I laugh about it, but it's not it's not funny at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, I mean, obviously you can look back at it now and think, oh, wow, you know, what a bizarre time. But at the time, that must have been quite harrowing. Yeah, because I didn't know, like, obviously half of what I know now. And if I'd have, you know, if something had been really wrong, I wouldn't have known how to take that. Like, and then I have to, everything you did, you had to feed back information. And you sat in a room and they just bombard you with all stuff you've never known before. And then you've got to go back and go, I've got to do this. We've got to do this. And, and then you think, have I forgot something? And by the end of it, I was taking a pen and pad just so I could go back and relax. That's it, because like, you know, a lot of people listening to this will have gone to appointments, just routine things and took someone with them just in case they don't process something that's said. So the other person does. And then when they go back to it, they can say, oh, I forgot what they said. And the other person could be like, oh, they said this. Oh, yeah, of course they did remember now. But of course, with you being on your own, as you said, all that information is being said to you and you're a bit like, ooh, okay. You know, you're going to, yes. as you said, you might forget things or there might be things where you think, oh, I don't quite understand that. I need that explaining. It gets explained to you and you're still a bit like, yeah. Okay. Cause everything was, everything was smoothly up until about 38 weeks. And he, um, the little one decided he was going to grow a bit too much. So they were like, Oh, we need to induce you. And I was thinking, Oh, they're going to do it like in a couple of weeks. And they were like, no, we need to bring you back tomorrow. Oh wow. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I was like, hang on, I've not planned. Like I've still got two weeks to chill. <laughs> <laughs> I've not planned to have him early. 
And yeah, so they induced me, but they kept saying he was going to be big and he wasn't, he was normal size. Right. Um, but they thought that because of the scans, because he was measuring a bit more, that he was going to be quite big, but he really wasn't. He was absolutely fine. He just didn't want to come out. It must have been hard for for Mike for for who he was was he he was your fiance at the time, but he's obviously he your was husband yeah now. yeah it must have been hard for him. Yeah, I remember a time when I was in the hospital and it was like every day was like nothing's happened. They've induced me, still not coming. There's no progress. Um, and I remember Mike saying I've had to start my paternity early because he didn't want to start it until the baby was here. Yeah. He said, I've started it because, unfortunately, at the time he was a, a van driver and he delivered things and he'd actually backed the van into a gate, which is funny now. <laughs> but at the time, and it's because his head wasn't in the right frame of mind because he no. was just worried because he yeah. wasn't able to be there. Yeah, he just can't, just not able to focus, is it? No focus at all, so... Yeah, he just uh, he lost his head a little bit, I think. Can I, yeah, I, I can I can only imagine, obviously, because just the, the that that worry can drive you insane if you if you're not careful. Yeah. So I think he did the right thing there by by sort of starting early and being like, right, I need to shift my attention over here now and, and make sure that everything's sort of okay with my family, which is you know it's quite a commendable thing, I think. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned then the first child was delivered by C-section. Was that a harrowing experience for you? You said you, meant you spent six days in hospital. There'll be, I mean, there'll be women from within our network, from outside our network listening to this who will have had exactly the same sort of experience. So I'm sure they will resonate and tally with you on that one. But what was that like for you? Um, I'm dead impatient. So I found it real struggle to sit there and wait. Yeah. And it was like every, you know, I began getting contractions, I dilated a little bit, and then unfortunately, it's your cervix, it had gone back to its original state, basically. So there was no progress. And like every time I'm like, check me, check me, check me, you know. And I think even the midwives got sick of me. And then in the end, it was just like, right, we're just going to have to get him out. Um, and it was a Sunday. And yeah, the, the consultant come to me and she was like, sign this, we'll get you down within half an hour. But then it meant I had to ring Mike and say, you've got half an hour to get here. Wow. So it was kind of rushed. Um, and even then, they had to use forceps to get him out because he still didn't want to come out. He was stuck. So unfortunately, like, as you know, my um, my work is personal training. Um, and because I'd worked my core quite a lot, normally in pregnancy it tears right. at the top of the muscles, and they didn't. And what he was doing was stuck. He was lodged underneath my core muscles. So he didn't actually, you didn't want to come out. <laughs> oh, wow. that <laughs> That's just like <laughs> blown my mind a little bit, that. The fact that um, the fact that you, you looked after yourself so well, <laughs> got yourself <laughs> in such a, such a, you know, a fit state of body and mind. And then when it come down to it, it was like, well, hold on a minute, you're probably too fit here to be able to, to get him out this way. Yeah, pretty much was like, they, they said to me in the um, theatre, they were like, your core muscles have not torn, they've not parted he's literally under there i mean he was protected and comfortable but yeah getting him out was a bit of a struggle as i said already i've sort of alluded to you obviously you had you had ollie during uh, covid time it was this big yeah. new thing that decided to show itself so as we've already said you know in-person appointments even scans that sort of thing they, they weren't going ahead with uh, the father or family members in the room other things like antenatal classes other appointments were they done like virtually was anything happening over the phone at that time as well um it was all done online so right. we did you had to do an antenatal course if you want to do antenatal classes normally you'd obviously go and sit your partner would be with you you'd be 
I don't know. I've actually never been to a physical antenatal class. Like I've never been in the room. So where they're like holding your belly and stuff, it's nothing, it was nothing like that. It was basically just online. And then we did like a live one that right. they sent us to, um, which was okay. There was quite a few people on it, like around uh, the UK, because mm. it was UK based one. It was a, a midwife based in London. Um, and it was informative because like she showed you how to wrap your baby in a towel and bath them because I, I, I had no idea. I'd ever put a nappy on, so... I didn't know what to expect, but yeah, you just, you kind of just have to take each day as it comes, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so no antenatal classes um, were done, just online stuff. Were you bothered about that? Were you bothered that it was all online? Would you have rather have had it all face to face? At the time, I think because we didn't know the difference. Yeah, true. It yeah. Didn't make a difference. Mm. Looking back now, it would have been nice to be face to face because even when Ollie was born, we were still in lockdown. So, like, classes for your baby, you and your baby, they weren't available for months. And by that point, he's grown up and he's out of that age bracket. Were you still able to sort of, like, create a network around you, if that makes sense? So, obviously, in them, in these things that you were doing online, there'd be other people in that. It wouldn't just be you, would it? No, it was. There was other people. So, you had, like, a bit of a chat running on one side and then the video, like, the live video mm. on the other. So, people would, like, ask questions about it um yeah so she'd stop every so often and answer the questions so but there was hundreds of people on it did you have any sort of friends or family that were also having children at that time that you were able to lean on and and just again create a support network with them um at that time no right i felt like there was no other person who seemed to be having a baby in <laughs> lockdown but obviously a lot of people did yeah uh, but at that time, for me, there was not many people around. Right. So having the classes then online, that was invaluable for you, really, to be able to speak to others who were also in the same yeah, sort of position there, really. That's it. You, even though you've never done this before, you've never had a lockdown before. So it was like, well, what do we expect? Exactly. What, you know, Yeah. there was a, a, a time in lockdown where they were telling everyone vitamin d go get vitamin d it's great it stops covid it stops you prevents you to get from getting it but vitamin d is essential to pregnant women and i know certainly in my supermarkets there became a shortage and in the pharmacies and we i had to go to like a tiny local pharmacy that is like treble the price just oh, to get it just wow. because it wasn't available anywhere but you need it every day for it's pregnancy su and supply and demand that isn't it yeah yeah so, that, so, so like it ran out because everybody was like, oh, I'm not going to get COVID because I'm taking vitamin D. But we were like, no, we need it. <laughs> now you talk, you, you, you talk really well to being a mum, haven't you? Um, I hope so. I say you have. <laughs> some days I question myself. <laughs> <laughs> looking from the outside and I say that you have. And one thing, so this is something I just want to touch on very, sort of very briefly. But yeah. one thing that I know is very real following the birth of a child within mothers, particularly following, following the birth, is things like, postnatal depression and i saw a stat actually uh, when i've been doing the research for this that said so this was done by university college in london that said almost half of women with babies aged six months or younger met the threshold for postnatal depression during the first covid lockdown which is more than double the average rate for europe before the pandemic isolation rather unsurprisingly being the biggest factor so you've sort of touched upon it already but did you did you feel of that any of that yourself in terms of isolation or do you, did you feel yeah. that you were really lucky to be surrounded by a really good network? 
not my family are, are amazing and my friends are amazing um but yeah you definitely feel that now i was never diagnosed with postnatal depression i didn't feel you know i wouldn't once have the symptoms but i felt bits of them so like i remember it being 10 days in and obviously I'm trying to recover and you've been cut in half and it is like every movement you make is painful. You can't pick the baby up for the first three days because you can't bend over. Yeah. So everyone's got to pass his, him, him to you. Um, but I did feel like, I think it was 10 days in and it was when you could bubble up. So you had family from a certain household coming around. Yes. I remember Mike being upstairs with his brother and me being downstairs with the baby. And I just went up and cried. And he was like, oh my goodness, what's happened? And I was yeah. like, I need to get out of the house. I was like, I need to go for a walk. Yeah. And he's like, well, we'll go for a walk. He, he's so supportive. He, anything I want, he'll, he would do. Mm. And I was like, no, I need to go now. Like I felt this horrible doom. And I was like, no, I need, I need to get out of the house. It's, I felt claustrophobic. Um, and I don't know if that was lockdown or maybe signs of a bit postnatal. Yeah. You know, having this newborn baby. But like I say, we live, obviously, you know, we live with my mum and um, she lives with us. So she was a great help. Yeah. She stepped in so many occasions where maybe I was like, I can't do this. And she knew and I, I thank her for it. Do you think it was just an entire overwhelming experience? Yeah. You are so tired. Like I can't, when people say what's the worst thing about having children, it is the tiredness. Like, so we came out of hospital and on the second day, I remember, again, we laugh about it now, but it's not funny at the time. I remember looking in his Moses basket and I looked up at my mum and I was like, he's not breathing. And she's like, he is breathing. He's sleeping. I was like, he's not breathing. And I began to panic. And my mum mm. just, Mike was at the shops. My mum just took one look at me. I was exhausted. I didn't sleep in hospital very well, obviously, because, you know, they're coming around every hour with drugs, drips, whatever. Um, so mm. I'd gone six days with no sleep, then had this baby. So on the eighth day, I was just, I was delirious. I wasn't me. And I remember my mum just going, picking him up, going, look, you can see he's breathing. Go to bed. Mm. I've got him. And she sent me to bed. And when Mike got back, he was like, where's she gone? And she was like, I've made her go and sleep. And I literally slept <laughs> for about four hours because I was that tired. I was just exhausted. Yeah. I was like hallucinating that he wasn't breathing and getting really upset. But actually, it was wow. absolutely fine. But yeah. yeah, I can see why. If you're on your own and you're isolated, why that would be a real big issue yeah, exactly. you, yeah. you these, your hormones like they take like two months three months to come back down to be normal it's crazy i bet, I bet that did you the world of good though being sort of sent away and knowing that your mum was there to to sort of make yeah. sure everything was okay definitely definitely like i say 100 amazing amazing woman um love her to bits because yeah things like that she's she was there and she still is like mm. she's like no go away wouldn't <laughs> even let me pick him up she's like you need your rest. And obviously, as being a mum of three herself, she knows the feeling. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. She's obviously mm -hmm. lived experience, been there, done that. Yeah. Like, right, chill out. Got yeah. this. You go away and uh, get yourself right. So you have Ollie, as we said, in late 2020. So let me fast forward then to two years later, 2022. Just before, I believe, you're about to get married, you find out that you're pregnant again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it was a big shock. Um, kind of our own fault. We were on contraception and it had run out and it was a couple of months before we were due to get married. And I was like, well, it took nine months to catch. So we won't catch in two months. We'll be fine. And yeah, two weeks in and I was pregnant. <laughs> um, 
So I don't think the dressmaker was happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, blind there. Yeah, because it was. How soon before the wedding did you find that out? Then was it quite close? So I think I found out. Yeah, I think I found out in the June, and the wedding was in the August. Oh wow! Or maybe I found out in the May. Um, so I was I was uh, 10, 11 weeks on the actual wedding itself. Right. So, because in my head, I'm thinking, oh, 10, 10, 11 weeks, that's not that much. But were you starting to show at that point? Um, I wouldn't say show, but you bloat. Right, you like okay. A bit of a bloat, and it was that that I couldn't get rid of, like a bit of right. a bloat. But I was still like in the frame of mind of, obviously, when you're pregnant, you eat healthy anyway. But I was still in my, my kind of wedding diet frame of mind strict on myself I wasn't mm. you have all sorts of cravings in pregnancy and I was making sure that I didn't give in to cravings too much mm. um one because I want a healthy baby but two because I wanted to still fit in my wedding dress and I did just but I did <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't mind then Kelly and no, if no. You, obviously if you're comfortable doing so are you able to tell us what happened when you just went for a routine scan uh, I think it was about 20 weeks there, so it was a little bit later. It was actually earlier. So during between your 12-week and your 20-week routine scans, you have uh, a midwife appointment. Um, normally, it's done at a clinic near your house. Um, but because I was going, having, I was, I think I was having something extra, being tested for something, they did it at the hospital. And basically, they put the what's called the Doppler on you to check the heartbeat. Um and she kept saying, oh, I can find you because you can hear your blood flow, like your main mm. artery. And she said, I'm just looking. And then I was like, oh, fine. And, you know, I've done this before. She'll she'll find it. It can take a yeah. while. Some midwives can find them, some struggle. And then after about 20 minutes, she was like, I need to send you for a, a emergency scan. So I'm like, no, oh, okay. And at this point, I'm still feeling, I'm feeling still positive. Everything's okay, you know. Okay. Sometimes yeah. you can't see it on the Doppler, so the scan, that's fine. And I remember sitting in the waiting room for this scan and somebody came in who is now my bereavement midwife, but at the time I didn't know who she was. Okay. And she just said, have you rang your husband? So I'm like, well, no. Why, why, why would I need to ring my husband? He's at work. Because you, you were um, on your own at this at the time as well, weren't you? Yeah, so... Yeah. Because it wasn't a scan and it was just a quick appointment, I was like, yeah. you don't need to come. I'll be fine. He'd wow. been to the 12 week one. So I was like, I'll be fine. What's the point in coming all the way from Manchester when it's a 40 minute drive? I'll be fine. Um, and yeah, so she she was like, and I thought even, I remember thinking, even now, I was still thinking when she said it, why do I need to ring him? Mm. So I rang him and said, the hospital have said you need to come. Um, and I obviously got him up to date on what was happening. And obviously he had a long drive to get to the hospital anyway. Yeah. Um, and they sent me for the scan. And unfortunately, they couldn't find a heartbeat on the baby. Um, so I was, even then, I was still thinking, the next person who comes in will find it. You just, I, I live in hope. And I yeah. always see the positives over the negatives, or try to. Uh, and then they get like a specialist consultant to come and check. And then by the time I was looking, there's five people stood in a room all looking at this scan. And they also sent, because I didn't have Mike with me, they sent another midwife to hold my hand. And she's like, come on now, come on now. And it was at that point that I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like this is happening. The heartbeat's gone. There's no baby. Wow. And I remember it's beginning to, and I did get upset. I remember crying, like holding the midwife's hand, crying. 
and about four different people saying, I'm really sorry, this has happened. And obviously the baby had no heartbeat at that point. Um, somewhere between 12 weeks and 16 weeks, um, the heartbeat had stopped. Wow. I mean, to get that news, that's heartbreaking enough mm -hmm. for anyone. At that point, so you were told that on your own, obviously the midwife's, the bereavement with midwife's with you, Mike's meanwhile bombing it down the motorway to be with you. Yeah. When he gets there, someone has to break the news to him as well. Is that right? Yeah. So that was myself. Uh, okay. We were sat by this point on the labour ward in a labour room, um, which I know is crazy. <laughs> and I remember him coming in and I just, I didn't need to say anything by this point. I'm yeah. really upset. And I just said, I'm sorry. And he just broke down. He was like, no, no, no. And I was like, yeah. And yeah, I remember we had a moment together and then the bereavement midwife come back, introduced herself of who she actually was. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking, well, you hear about miscarriages and things like that, but give me a pill. It'll all come out. I'll be fine. We can try again. Because you, the one thing that, and it drives me mad even now, with miscarriages, late miscarriages, stillborns is, they always go, it's one of those things. It really isn't one of those things, no. not to experience it personally, but I hear it all the time. Um, and yeah, so I was like, yeah, you're going to give me a pill and it'll go. And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. She's like, your baby's 16 weeks, five days. And I'm like, and? Because even at that point, you don't think the baby's fully formed but they are. Um, and yeah, she turned around and said, no, we have to induce you to give birth. So you'll be giving birth naturally. Wow. And that was the, what? She was like, yeah, you'll have to come back. The hospital might have amazing suite where you stay. And it's purposely for that reason. You're okay. away from everybody. So, you know, it, it's a fantastic little room. It's like a little flat. You've got a garden. And which, which hospital is this? Sorry. So this was Tameside. Okay, Tameside General, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they have like a, it's got the hairbell suite, it's got a kitchen, your partner can stay with you, it's got um bathroom. It, it is a lovely little place that they've made for yeah. that reason. But yeah, by that point, I'm like, well, I now know, don't know what to expect. Bearing in mind, I'd had a C-section with the previous, with Ollie. So it was like, I don't, I've never given birth naturally. I don't even know how it feels to give birth naturally. So you've got a million fears on top of you're trying to grieve because now you know and they're asking you so many things do you need a do you want a post-mortem yeah it was it was difficult is a yeah, I, underestimated I, I, word i can only imagine i mean I, it, it, your strength throughout all of it kelly is is commendable it really is and the fact that you're talking so openly about it now and and you know giving yourself this platform as we've said it, it really is commendable and I, I really sort of, you know, I take my hat off to you, the fact that you, you are able to talk so openly about it and I do think this will help a lot of people that, that will listen yeah. to this. So as I said, you know, you've you've had that news, the shock already that, that the baby has passed. Then you have the shock of, well, actually, I'm going to have to go and give birth and that's obviously terrifying as well. So obviously you, you then go away and you give birth. You have a little girl. Mm-hmm. And you said something a minute ago, which I picked up on. You said that you live in hope. Yeah. And that's the name that you ended up choosing, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Because 
you've got to have hope to carry on. There are so many people who give up and I'm like, I'm not giving up because this, you know, it didn't happen with Ollie. Um, and it's so much more common than people think. It's one in four people suffer baby loss of some sort. It's so, so common, yet it's such a taboo subject to talk about. Mm. And I just can't understand why. Like, why does it make... I understand it. People feel uncomfortable. It's life. It's so common. Yeah. With hope, we chose not to have a post-mortem, but have everything else examined. And everything okay. come back fine. It was actually attic sack around her that I'd cracked. So she was now not protected. So unfortunately she passed because she was so small and she couldn't fight anything. Um, okay. So, and the reason we didn't was because we chose not to, because she was so small. She was tiny, like okay. probably six, five inches long. She was so small. And we were like, yeah, it, no, we chose not to. So we had her cremated. Um, it was just me and Mike there. And um, we keep her ashes. Have you scattered them or have you just kept hold of them? No, we've kept hold of them. Um of yeah, them. they're in a they're in a nice little box with her scan picture, so Yeah. Somewhere to go. <laughs> Talk. Well you you mentioned then about obviously you have mentioned about Mike and your mum and, and every every sort of everybody else around you creating that network. Um I just want to sort of ask about the impact that it had on Mike, on your on your husband. Because obviously as much as as much as you will have carried the baby and go through the pregnancy and subsequently the birth, it obviously does affect the father. How did he react and sort of cope with everything then, would you say? He is the type of person, he's absolutely amazing, but he's the type of person who believes that a man has to be strong for the woman. Um, right, but I yeah. could see the cracks and I mm. was very much like, you need to let this out. You need, And he did. He did grieve um, and he still does. Um, I was like, you need to you know, this is a really big thing. I was trying to explain that, unfortunately, um, back in 2015, on New Year's Day, my dad passed suddenly, unexpected. Wow. Um, and I explained to Mike that this pain, as much as I love my dad, I'm a daddy's girl, miss him every day. This pain felt much more because it was my child. Yeah. You, cycle of life, you expect, you don't expect, but your parents pass before you you don't expect to lose a child. And I think that's yeah. the the mindset people have. So that mindset, and I just said to Mike, I said, allow yourself this, you know, this is the most painful thing you'll probably ever experience in your life. Mm -hmm. And he did eventually, like he allowed himself to grieve. Uh, and even now we still think about it, talk about it because she did yeah. exist. And that's the one thing that I think is more, people don't think when you miscarry, when you're late miscarry, when you've got stillborn, that they existed they did you held them in your arms you know and that's why i still talk about her to this day i think i think that's that's the thing with with all as you've already said then with all all types of loss is just talking yeah because they were here they did exist yeah. and if you talk about it that that can you know for some people not for all people because grief is different for everybody yeah. but for some people that can really help yeah. Um. So I'm 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 glad that you are able, as I've said already, with this and just being being so open and honest with it. I am. I'm glad that you are able to talk about it and help other people. Yeah. It's it's like things. I mean, physical fitness helped getting back to the gym. Yeah. It, it resets your mind. Personally, for me as well, and I know for Mike, going back and doing exercise, it just gives you that headspace. 
away from what's going on. Especially after Hope, I really suffered with um, like post-pregnancy symptoms. You don't even think that that's going to happen. Yeah. What would happen in a normal delivery, but it does. Yeah. So like I ended up with hives, things like that, just because I was so ill. Wow. So getting back into like my fitness and stuff and my back into fitness, it really gave us a bit more of a purpose and reset our minds again. Briefly mentioned sort of support and everything then. I always find that when someone has suffered loss of any kind, you kind of don't really know what to say or what to do um, in case it may well be like the wrong sort of thing. Were you okay with people asking questions and offering support at that time? Or did you just want in the first instance for it to be just yourself and that little bubble of close knit family? Yes. Even now I don't mind people asking questions. I find they get more worried than I do. Okay. Um, and a bit more, Oh, should I talk about it? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Ask me. Um, I'm very, very open about it. Um, maybe too open sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm very open. I just feel like they don't they don't know what to say. Like you said, they, they have no idea. And sometimes they mean well, but actually yeah. it comes out a completely different way. And you're like, that's a little bit offensive or a little yeah. bit, you know, you've upset me a little bit. But yeah, the best thing I think people can say in, in any loss really is give you a hug and just say, I'm here if you need anything. It's the it's the most useful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you have hundreds of questions. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's it. Because people, I suppose some people just want to support and know how you feel. And that can sometimes, as you said, it can sometimes come across the wrong way. They might come across as being a bit nosy or a bit intrusive. But some people genuinely just do want to help and want to find out. But as you say, you know, other other people can't inadvertently put their foot on it mm. a little bit. I remember you saying to me a couple of weeks back that when you went back to work the first time, there was um, people in the gym because you work in a gym setting. There's people in yeah. there asking you questions and you're a bit like, oh, on a minute. There's, there's a, yeah. few, a few things come up that you were a bit like not too comfortable with, I believe, when you said it to me that time. Yeah, so it's... I feel like people want to compare all the time like ah, okay, yeah. just so they can relate which is absolutely perfectly fine but I feel like sometimes it comes across a little bit again it goes back to the way people say things I've had it a hundred times people go oh I lost a baby I had it with some friends actually not at the gym um and somebody I'd never met and it was one of my friend's mums we were talking about it and then she kind of come in the conversation I'd never met her before but yeah. it was all at the same function and she just went yeah I lost a baby like and I was like you don't even know me yeah like, but it's not what you're saying it's how it comes across yeah but that could be partly my fault for being sensitive um but yeah I did find people like because I'm quite open about it but it's when people ask a question and then try and answer it without knowing the real facts and that really annoys me because it's like nope that's not right yeah in terms of other people obviously you said then that that lady whoever it was that spoke to you was quite flippant I'd, I'd imagine with that comment and that's what annoyed you a little bit I'd say yeah so it was because for me I know the term it's baby loss people say I lost a baby did mm. I don't say I lost a baby personally I say right. my baby died 
like, because my baby did die. That's the bit that I'm like, I gave birth to to her. I held yeah. her in my arms. She died. She just died inside me. But yeah, so like with people, I think sometimes it's just the way they're saying things. Um, on the flip side of things, when you're open about this sort of thing, you find out so many people have the same scenario as yourself or very yes. similar. Mm. I found out very close friends who lost babies around the same time, had to go through the same procedure of giving birth. And that was quite comforting to be like, to know, especially to know as well that they went on to have children who were perfectly fine Yeah, as well. You kind of see mm. some comfort in that. So yeah, it, it opens both sides. You get the really strange questions and the people who just completely say the wrong thing. Um, even up to the current day, people say things like, it'll settle one day, you know, you'll learn to let it go. And you're like, I'm not going to let it go because no, it was my child. Like no. they're always going to be remembered. I'm not obsessing about it. I'm grieving. Yeah. And I want to make awareness. And I also want to raise loads of money for the baby loss charities. It's nothing to do with not getting over stuff. Yeah. Mention then about baby loss charities, you know, one th a big theme that comes up on, on these podcasts that we do is network and, and, you know, being part of a network or being within this network. So when all of this happened to you, you were very, very quickly put in touch with an amazing charity called Sands. So tell us a little bit more about Sands. Tell us what they do. What support so, did they specifically offer to you at that time? Sands are fantastic. So Sands create these what are called memory boxes. So when you lose a child, you get a memory box and they give it to you like on the day you give birth and it contains like a little teddy bear. Unfortunately, below 24 weeks of pregnancy, you don't get a death certificate. Oh, wow. Past that, okay. you get wow. a death certificate legally. They're not legally classed as a death, which again, just gives that whole persona of you lost the baby. It doesn't say my baby died. And this really bugs me because I give uh, birth. Yeah. Um, wow. So Sans make sure you have got a little certificate in there to show they existed. Um, so they have a little certificate. They have obviously like networks available that yeah. you can uh, have a look at and contact of how you feel. They also do things like counselling online for bereaved parents. They do group sessions. They do so much research into preventing baby loss, mm. which is the most important thing. It's same with Tommy's charity as well, that they're literally doing very similar work. Um, but yeah, we, we chose Sans because... It was from the memory box. The memory boxes are like £10 each. We wanted to raise as much money as possible to get so many of them yeah. to give to other parents because, you know, they just give you a little bit of comfort. You know, they put a little blanket in there. It's just little things that mean a lot. Mm. And I know firsthand that, you know, because I work for a charity myself, um, I know that they can be incredibly underfunded and stretched in terms of, of resources and staff and time. But similarly, I know that sometimes that support can sometimes come a little bit too soon when things are still very, very raw. Was there ever a sense of that? Or did you feel as though you really needed that support there and then? I don't feel there was ever a sense of that personally with us because you feel like you need some direction. You know, this extraordinary thing has happened and mm. what you imagine it to be is nothing how it is. And yeah, so they kind of direct you in the, the right place and get you in the right mindset. Um, so yeah, it was more helpful than it was 
Like, but I totally understand why people would find it very intrusive too early. Mm. Everybody's different. Exactly. Yeah. We've already sort of alluded to that, that people grieve differently and every single person is different. Um, and sort of talking about the grieving process that we've already touched on, when you are grieving, there is all these elements to it, uh, which is uh, like shock, there's anger, disbelief, sadness. Um, and then within that, there is moments of accept- acceptance as well. Very much an emotional roller coaster, I would say. What was, you've already sort of touched upon it very briefly, but sort of taking all of them elements in, in mind, what was your experience like with all of that? We have a saying in this house, we take one day as it comes. Okay. Um, and every day is a different day. So, yeah, you go through different stages of grief. Um, And for me personally, like, I've done a a counselling diploma, so trying from a counselling point of view to understand my emotions as well. Yes. It's quite difficult um, because I'm trying to process it naturally and also process it from, like, an observation point of view, which I think is just, I've learned very quickly it's being too harsh on myself. Mm. Um, But, yeah, you feel all sorts of emotion like some days you are angry some days you're sad some days you accept it there are days where we we had a little funeral like I say and it was just me and Mike and it's three songs played repeatedly and we chose the songs there are days where I have them on my um playlist so I can play them in the car I'll be fine mm. there are days where I can't because I'll sob so what are yeah, those songs if you don't mind if you don't mind saying so we chose Angels by Robbie Williams Okay. Um, we chose uh, Over the Rainbow and we also chose, I'm just trying to think of the last song. Put you on the spot now, aren't I? <laughs> you have put me on the spot. I'm just, <laughs> how bad is that that I can't think of the last? I think it's because I get two in and then I start crying. So I just turn ah. it back off again. <laughs> well, if you um, can't remember it, I don't want to set you off. So, you know, that's fine. But you got, you got, two, of, you got two of them there, which is, which is yeah. fine. But no, you see, you, you, you did this little service and played them songs then. So, yeah, so we picked um, songs that reminded us of the baby. Yeah. Um, and the things like, I don't always want things to be sad. Mm. That's also the thing. I, I'm not, I can't live always being sad. Again, you've already mentioned this a little bit, but um, after a period of time, you went back to work. You got yourself into yeah. this, this bit of a routine, sort of health and fitness wise, as you said. And then you're in this, you know, that's all of that sort of happened. You've got yourself into this routine. You've returned to work after a period of time. And then you find out you're pregnant again. Yeah. So yeah. because we got given the green light, uh, we instantly was like, oh, do you know what? We'll see how it happens. We'll just, you get in the mindset of basically these things can't happen twice. So it was like, right, okay, yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll try again. And very soon after I did become pregnant within like six weeks, it wasn't, you know, I'd gone back to work after two weeks, getting myself losing the big, tiny bit of baby weight I put on. And then, yeah, so we were overjoyed when we found out we were pregnant again. I was going to ask that. I was going to say, like, was the how did it feel that time? Was there was obviously there's joy, obviously there is, but was there a little bit of fear within that as well? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent fearful every day. You are almost talking to yourself, you know, talking to the baby, saying, "Come on, it's another day. You've done it." Um, obviously, second time round, you get offered a lot more scans. Um, 
Is that just because obviously you've got you've now got like this history, so it's like we're gonna just yeah, make sure. Yeah, so you now become like very high risk pregnancy. Okay. Because of this risk of it happening, um, but yeah, so you get a lot more scans, a lot more checkups. Now, to go through the trauma of losing a child once would break pretty much everybody. But unfortunately, this is something that you've been through twice as your other daughter Isla she was born sleeping in April of this year I believe yeah hope's loss is so recent still still so so raw and then you've got to go through it all again I mean I can't even I can't even fathom how that much how that must feel like and again you know we'll only chat about this if 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 you're totally comfortable doing so but with with Isla, was it was it similar to, to yeah, Hope, so or was it was it completely different? It was similar, but a different time. So we'd gone past the sixteen week mark. Everybody's like, "Hooray! This is going to be okay." I'd not bought any baby stuff because I was like, I'm "Not buying anything," because until I'm positive that we're okay, right. I get us to twenty weeks halfway mark. Right? Okay, let's start buying baby stuff. Not loads, but let's start buying a bit of baby stuff. So we bought a few things and I was feeling great. I was at the gym, not overdoing it, just doing nice pregnancy workouts, mm. keep myself healthy, still eating well. And I don't know what it was, but I didn't feel ill. I just felt strange. I felt a feeling of doom. That's all I can say. Okay. There was no symptoms, nothing. And I was 22 weeks and five days. And I said to Mike, my husband, I said, I've booked a private scan during Isla's pregnancy. The, the private scan company that around the corner literally know me by like name everything okay. i was there yeah. in between my extra scans i was there just like my personal you know it, it kept my mind okay and yeah. knowing things were going smooth just giving them extras mm. so past 16 weeks they told me at the actual hospital everything was okay and they didn't want me to have any more extra scans okay and I, that was a bit daunting obviously because i was like well even though if I don't need them, I want them just to make sure everything's okay. You know, you want, and I understand why they've said you're all right. You don't need them. So my next scan booked in was for, from 20 weeks. I'd had my 20 week scan. Everything was great. My next one was around 24 weeks. Um, just a little bit after. Or was it? No, that was the extra scan that was booked in. I actually wasn't until 32 weeks. So I was yeah. definitely like in between. I'm going private. Um, so I go to the clinic. Well, I, I, it was the Thursday, and I said to Mike, "I've booked for Saturday for Saturday morning. I just want to make sure the baby's okay." And he's like, mm. "Why do you feel ill?" I was like, "No, I don't. I just feel there's something wrong, and I can't put my finger on it. There's a feeling of doom, a feeling of dread, and I didn't know if that was me being nervous or, which is understandable." Yeah. Come to the Saturday morning, goes to the clinic, and bless her, she's trying to find the baby and I can see the baby on the screen and I knew before she said the words what she was going to say because the scans look very similar Hope scan and Isla scan I both remember normally the heartbeat's quite a dominant picture you can see Mm. it thumping and I remember the spine being more defiant than the heart and that's what I remember seeing and I knew what she was going to say and obviously she broke the news to us because it was a private scan, they have to collect all their data, all their information, send it straight to the hospital and send you straight to the hospital. Right. Obviously, 
the change that Mike's with me this time. Yes. So he's now processing it because he didn't see it last time. Yeah. Uh, and I think at that point, bless him, he was trying to be strong because at that point I did break um, and I felt like, I well, he thought I was going to have a panic attack. I couldn't breathe. Oh, wow. It was horrendous. I remember like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, breathe, breathe. And he was trying to keep me calm to stop yeah. me being ill. But yeah, I just, I did feel crushed, everything. It was like, you know, like I said, going back to hopes, people say to you, oh, um, it'll be all right. I had the similar thing. I've gone on to have children. Mm. And the statistic is 1% of people have a second late miscarriage. 1%. 1%. Wow. So, I mean, I've researched all this and it's 1% of people. So to hear the words again was crushing now yeah. we're on the terms of wow. something must be wrong why has it happened again and why has it happened like but i was in 23 weeks almost why has it happened seven weeks after mm. obviously had to go through exactly the same process as well so knowing that last time i had to give birth yeah this time she's bigger i have to give birth again um same sweet same like i said lovely lovely place but it's the same place i'm going to the difference this time is that with hope we chose to go home for a couple of days and then go back in to try and process it okay this time i was like once we go to this hospital i'm not moving until she's out yeah Yeah. because the days at home felt this is going to sound terrible and i'm sure some people can relate for me personally it was like i'm lying in bed trying to sleep and all i'm thinking is i've got this dead baby sat inside me and it's the worst feeling by far, the worst. And I didn't want to feel that again. No. I wanted to her to come out, mm. us to have her in our arms and grieve the way we did with Hope. But yeah, it was the most extremely difficult time. I mean, you, you alluded to it again there, but about your the effects on your mental well-being. You know, as I said there, once is hard enough. The impact of a second loss. Obviously, you, you mentioned that you were off a counselling and I, I, I'm guessing you're off a counselling again for, for the second occasion. Yeah, so when you get offered counselling and you get like a bereavement counselling, so it's just across the board, mm. like what you would get if somebody close to you passed away. But we actually got offered bereavement meetings for parents who've lost babies or babies have died. Okay. Um. And yeah, so we went to a couple of them. They were very helpful in terms of you hear other stories and you don't feel alone. Cause that is one thing at this point you feel yeah. is this has happened to you twice. Now nobody can relate. Right. Yeah. And that is that a very big feeling I got was nobody can relate at this point. I'm on Facebook groups, you know, for looking up other people who are in the same scenario. How are they feeling? Um, yeah, so there was support networks out there and we did use them. You've been incredible, incredible talking about all of this. So openly, so honestly, and I really, really appreciate you doing so. As I say, I do think it's going to help a lot of people who have gone through this thing to ensure that, you know, they don't feel alone um, in anything that they would go through in terms of, you know, baby loss or any sort of loss at all. You've said for a while now that loss, and particularly baby loss, can be, as you said, a taboo subject. It's important to talk, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Like, I find 
I talk more now after Isla than I did with Hope. And I'm very honest, both girls are now together in an urn. Um, we've both had rings made with the girls in. Every birthday, every month, ma- because ma- you don't grieve when your baby dies for, you grieve for what would have been, mm. not what was. So okay. where was, like I was saying with my dad, I grieve because I miss him. I miss the memories, the times we had together. With your babies, you don't get that. So you grieve what would have been. You wonder what they would have been like, looked like, yeah. who they would have looked like. Schools, starting school. And it's one thing I learned through the bereavement meetings was other parents said the same thing. There was a, a lady I met. She was five years down the line. And she was like, my baby would have been starting school now. I'm upset because I'm wondering what they yeah. would have been like. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand that. Like, it's coming up to a year since Hope in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, we've said we're going to do something for it. It might be let a balloon off or something just because they did exist. Like I say, we, we held Isla pretty much all day. Um, bless her. With Isla, we did have a post-mortem because obviously by this point we're wanting more answers yeah, it's not just one of those things. This has to be a problem. And she was past the point to get the death certificate this time, was she? No, so she was still under it. Oh so wow! It's twenty four weeks, and she was twenty three. Oh yeah, of course, twenty three. Yeah. So out by a week. Out by a week, wow. and yeah, so the same thing. We got the sands box again, so important. Yeah, we've got one for them both, and with the certificate and stuff, which is great. But the worst part about it is, and I don't think a lot of people know, is you actually don't qualify for maternity leave till you're twenty four weeks. So right. you also don't get the time you need to grieve. I mean, my works were amazing. I had three months and they were incredible. Like I can't fault them in but, any way, shape or form. But you you, you needed them three months though, didn't you? Yeah, this time yeah. around I was angry. I wasn't the same positive person I was the first time around. This time I'm like, no, I need to process this. Absolutely. Doing it once, yeah. doing it twice is just horrendous and you find people shy away from you so trying to process that as well like I had friends who had babies and I held my friend's newborn a week after Isla and everyone was like oh my gosh you're so strong and I was like but it's not my baby mm. I'm so happy for anyone and anyone who's pregnant like yeah. it does not phase me whatsoever because it's not mine my, both my babies are little angel babies now. I always say it when people ask me how many children I've got. I've got three. I've got one living boy and two angel babies because they did exist. Exactly. I gave birth to them. Like I said, we've got their ashes. But yeah, it's just, and it was, you do need that time. Again, straight back into fitness. It kept me absolutely sane, to say the least. As soon as Ollie had gone to childminding, and it was like, right, go to the gym, have a couple of hours in the gym, just a break away from everybody. And it was nice to see people that you maybe not seen who don't know your story because they mm. just give you a hug and be like, how are you doing? And it would yeah. be normal. You get that look when you see people who know what's happened as if to say, they don't know what to say. I mean, like you said, first time around, people don't know what to say to you. Second time around, they really don't know what to say to you. But the best thing you can say to people is, I'm here, hope you're okay. Said then about fitness um, and about obviously returning to work, but you were within the, the, the fitness industry, you work in a gym. Yeah. Um, you are a big advocate for health and well-being and the impact that physical exercise can have on making someone feel mentally a lot better um, about themselves or about just about anything really. Um, first of Kelly, tell me about your own fitness journey uh, because you've lived the experience of getting yourself on a path to well-being if you like, haven't you? Yeah, so 
Um, gosh, back in, I think it was 2013. I was huge. <laughs> I was wow. like an abominable <laughs> snowman. Uh, for a five foot two girl, I was like 15 stone. So I was really big. Um, and as you know yourself, you've gone through the weight loss journey. Uh, I was walking up TK Max stairs and was like, got to the top. I was like, I can't breathe. I've got to change something and that, I don't mm. know what. So obviously, as you do, because I don't know where to start, never done this before, goes to the local slimming group, does that for a few months. I, I lose like five and a half stone, which, you know, I felt great. But then I was like, mm, is this the right way? Because now I'm left with the baggy skin. Um, so I got into fitness, went to the gym, um, really enjoyed it. And then soon after, because at the time I was like doing um, a nursing sort of role in my career. Soon after I was like, I want to do this as a, a career. Yeah, I, I want to tell people that you get a lot of, in the fitness industry, as you know, you get a lot of people who, it may be an Instagram picture, you know, people thrive to be these, unrealistic mm. pictures yeah and some for some people it isn't unrealistic but for a lot of people it is so i wanted to Absolutely. show people that actually go on your own journey and do it i've experienced it myself and as like you you've experienced your own personal fitness journey and um, so yeah so i started with my i did my i was working and doing the course at the same time and then finally i landed a job where i'm working now at the the radisson and yeah, so I started as a leisure assistant temporary because someone was on maternity leave um, and then got the permanence role when somebody left. And then obviously now I'm assistant manager there. So I just worked my up, but I still just got up, have that. Yeah, the ladder, yeah. <laughs> trying. Yeah. But I still have that um, drive in me, especially the personal training side to see. But I just want people to realise that you've got to have realistic goals. And, yeah. You know, none of this fad diet. You've got to put the work in. Absolutely. I was going to ask you then, like, how rewarding is it to see the work that you do with other people get them started or get them progressing on their own fitness journeys? It's the best feeling. I talk about it at home all the time. I'm like, have you seen this person? Look what they look like. <laughs> you know, I, I do com with their, um, you know, when they agree to, I do their compare pictures, show them what they did look like, what they look like now. And it's not like, you know, it might not be a six pack or complete the rips. It's just real that they've lost the weight they wanted to lose or they might, that might not even be a goal of theirs, mm. but they've achieved what they wanted to achieve. And yeah. that is the most rewarding thing ever in my career. And I just, sometimes I go, hmm, shall I still do this career? And then I go back to the gym and I'm like, yeah, I love doing this. Love <laughs> how, um, how did you become qualified? Like what route did you take? Um, and how long well, did it take you? I took, um, it was a private company that I paid for and I had to go, I think it was once every other weekend. So I'm a weekends off basically yeah. for the full two days. One day was a day of theory. One day was a day of practical. And then eventually I did four exams to finish off two on nutrition and two on the, um, actual personal training. Yeah. Did you do the, um, did you do the anatomy and physiology one? Did you do that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I did two. Uh, exams on that one was more intense than the other one oh, um, yes. <laughs> but yeah so and that was seven years ago now oh wow yeah it's a long time yeah I mean seven years that's yeah you said that's quite a long time really I didn't realize it had been that long I, for some reason in my head I thought it'd been a lot shorter than that um shows that time just passes in the click of a finger don't it really more than anything else that does um 
Is there anything you've not, like anything fitness-wise that you've not done yet that you'd like to do? Like, for example, any classes or specialities that you want to look into and maybe teach them? Yeah, I've looked at quite a few different ones. My problem is I don't ever know what to do. I like to learn. (laughs) So once I've done one, I'm like, I want to do another one. I want to do something different. Um, Like I said, I find being a PT, you're almost like people's counsellor sometimes. And they talk about the whole life. You know that person inside out. So Mm. doing the counselling diploma really kind of helped the PT side of things as well. Yeah. I also do the CPD courses to teach classes. And there are a lot more ones. I want to do stuff with water next. Um, Yeah, there are loads of different pathways. But just seeing people achieve their goal and feel happy is like the most important thing um, for me personally. And... Yeah, and I am real with it. Like just recently, you've probably seen it on Facebook, uh, on Instagram. I'd put a post up about C-sections. So that's some re- reason recently there's been a lot of people who I train who will talk about C-sections and having what we call a mama pouch. <laughs> and I wanted to show that when I've got high-waisted leggings on, I look like I've got a six-pack mm. and I am strong and I've got good core muscles Um but I've still got that pouch. So I took the next picture, like fully revealing my mum pouch. Cause I was mm. like, look, this is real. Like you've got to do it for you and yeah. not for the, like, even though I use social media as a platform to yeah. get this message out, you've got to do it. So you're not comparing yourself to others. Cause I find that constantly the comparison and it's unrealistic comparison. You've got to be happy in you. Exactly. And I think, yeah. But I even fight with that every day. So to teach other people, it sometimes is difficult, but I try my best to make sure people are like, no, here's, be real. I was going to ask you then, because so we've, we've had a, uh, we've had a PT on this podcast before, um, Hayden, who does uh, the fitness classes for ourselves at Happy Sundays. And I asked him this question and I'm going to ask it you, because I'm intrigued <laughs> to get your perspective on it as well. So how does someone whose job it is to motivate someone stay motivated themselves oh you have to do some (laughs) self-checkings definitely you have to like there are some days that I don't want to work out um and I'll push myself and I'll I'll make sure I do a workout there Mm. are some days my body is physically telling me today is not the day yes yeah and I have to listen to my body and go no no um (laughs) but yeah stay motivated I think changing goal so Back when I'd done my PT course, my goals were like, yeah, I want to be, I want to look the best. I want to be the best. You get this persona that people come to you because they want to look like you. Or, you know, they look at your body and go, you've got muscles. She must be a good PT. Mm. Um, But actually, it's because they know that you can help them achieve their goal. So like over the years, obviously, after losing the two girls, my motivation has completely changed. My motivation now is just to stay healthy. Mm. You know, I'm taking seven multivitamins a day. You know, I want to stay healthy. I want to give, if there is another baby, I want to give it the best chance possible. You, I think, and that's it. I think the changing goals constantly keeps you motivated. Having a goal keeps you motivated. And if you achieve one, find another one, whether it be academically like learning a new course. Mm. And wanting, because once you've done a new course in the personal training industry and being a PT, you kind of want to deliver that to other people, you know. Um, and I constantly ask PTs sometimes, like, 
what would you want to do in a PT? What, what, what interests you? Mm. Well, if I can train up in that and teach you, but yeah. And actually seeing people, the rewards that people have after doing personal training yeah. keeps you motivated. You know, you're doing your job right. Um, like with yourself, I, you know, I, obviously we've known each other years and I still remember Josh from years ago. Um, <laughs> And you look amazing and you've done incredible, but that's all you like, but knowing that you came to me, you had PT with me, it keeps me motivated mm. knowing that you're motivated as well. Mm. So yeah. That's actually what Hayden said to be fair about his clients. He said, see, seeing his clients motivated, motivates him and it works both yeah. ways. It's very much what he says. So it's a two way, you know, it's a two way system. Yeah, it is. And don't get me wrong, I have the clients that I have to push because I'm not, the one thing I swear by is I'm not a PT that shouts. I'm not going to tell you to drop down and give me 10. That is just <laughs> not my way. I will softly speak to you and tell you how important it is to do it. Yeah, um, it's up to you at the end of the day. It's up to yeah. you to take what on board, exactly. what, you're, what you're being told and what you're learning and it's up to you to implement that. You, you can't, you, you know, as much as you are a personal trainer, you're not there to hold someone's hand. No, and I say that to them. I'm like, you'll pay me. I could quite happily just make you run on a treadmill for an hour and make you think it's doing you some good, but that's not me. <laughs> so, you know, put the work in. I'll do my side of things. You do your side of things. And I'm really honest with that. Like, and sometimes, yeah, I've had it where I have clients come and go all the time. That doesn't bother me at all. Mm. Um, but I have had it where I find it difficult to teach some people, you know, because you can't, not everybody has the same approach either. So you have to approach everybody differently. Yeah. Um, but I've had to be a bit firmer on some people. It's worked, or at least I think it has. <laughs> Got to be cruel to be kind sometimes, haven't you? Yes, definitely. So while we talk about fitness, um, one thing I do want to mention before we wrap up is I want to mention the 5K fun run that yourself and Mike did uh, back in August. Uh, and you raised, you've mentioned Sands, the, the incredible work that they do. You raised a lot of money for them. Um, so tell us about that. I know that you... <laughs> I know you found it difficult on the day, mainly because of the Great British Summertime, but <laughs> preparation-wise, everything else, how was that for you? So, the thing is, I love Mike to bits, and he's the best husband ever, but Mike is naturally good at sport. He right, was one yeah. of those kids, he was top <laughs> at football, top at rugby, da -da. I'm the complete opposite. You know, I wagged every PE lesson. Gosh <laughs> knows how I got in the career again. Because, yeah. Um, so we're completely different. So I'm a... I have to train for this. Mike's a, a wing it on the day sort of person. Ah, so okay. the day yeah. after we gave birth to Isla, I don't know what it was, but I was like, oh, I need to do something for these charities than just right. give my own money. I need yeah. to raise money. I need to raise awareness. This is, it's got to be a positive outcome for me. I can't have, I've had so much negativity in the past 10 years that I'm like, no, mm. we have to think positive now. And it's not forcing myself to do that because I allow myself to grieve, but it's that, one thing my dad taught me before he passed away was when I'm not here, you still are. Life goes on. Okay. And as harsh as yeah. that sounds, it's the reality. So uh, the day after Isla passed, I was like onto this, oh, there's this inflatable 5k fun run and it's local. Let's book on and do it. Let's raise as much money as we can for Sands. So Mike was like, right, okay. You know, he was a bit hesitant thinking, oh gosh, what she got us into? Because I'm like that, you know, <laughs> I've booked him for my half marathons before now and then told him. <laughs> just sprung on him oh by the way <laughs> yeah that is exactly our conversation <laughs> um, yeah so straight away so we raised 
totally up to now. We've raised £655. So we go on the day. Oh, wow. I tried my best to try and, I mean, you, an inflatable fun run. There's not much you can really do bar run and do maybe some circuit style training mm. um, just to get your fitness up. And especially after having two girls right near each other, I've got to try yeah. and get some form of fitness up. Because with Isla, I didn't, I worked out, but not very much because I was worried. Yeah. So obviously my fitness level will drop. So getting that back up. But then I thought, well, this will motivate me. This is now a goal. Um. So that gave me the motivation. It also made me feel a bit stronger about the whole situation. I'm doing something mm. good for it. Yeah. So yeah, the day came and it was like the most torrential rain you've ever seen. It didn't stop all day. It was horrible that day. I remember seeing that you were going to do it and I was like, surely it's going to get called off. Even I was like driving to the venue thinking this is going to get called off. Like we were so wet. I can't explain. I was wet at the point. My leggings looked like they were leather. Oh, wow. They were just soaked. And you had to do, it was 17 obstacles twice round. And it was really difficult because obviously the, the obstacles were flooding. And obviously like a giant yeah. bouncy castle. So there were obstacles where you had to get over. And me being five foot nothing, Mike just climbs over him because he's six foot. <laughs> and me, I'm like, drag me over. Because when you're trying to bounce to jump over them, you're literally just splashing in puddles. So it, it was funny and it was good fun. But yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. Um, and then Mike in between is like, shall we run? And I'm like, in between each obstacle. And I'm like, shall we not? <laughs> <laughs> but I did. Um, and we completed it. Yeah. So we did raise a lot of money for that as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess like the fact that you did complete it, and the fact that you raised a lot of money, there must be a huge sort of sense of achievement there, not just because you did it, but also because of why you did it. Yeah. So I remember like right at the last obstacle, it's a massive, massive slide, which is super cool. And Mike was like, we sat at the top and he went, oh my hand, we're going to shout the girls' names as we go down. And that's the first time I've ever seen Mike like proper open up like that. No about the whole scenario and it was just wow. lovely to yeah. hear and yeah. we had the t-shirts on with the girls names on and with sans charity and even the photographer at the end was like it's a fantastic charity well done um and i i did a lot of is it called blogging that day where you do loads of videos loads of reels i did loads that day and it mm. did generate loads of people watching donating yeah when we started it that day i think i'd raised about a hundred maybe in fact, no, we'd raised the, the total, so I'd, I'd raised just under £300. And okay. by the end of the day, that had doubled. Yeah, and that's and just from like, you getting yeah. the word out there. Yeah. yeah, like I was literally showing people, like, it is pouring down, we've still come to do it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I was I was adamant it was being called off, and it wasn't. Found out later it dried up and after we'd done it, and the second lot of people who go round got dry inflatables, but hey-ho. <laughs> Sod's law, that, innit? Yeah, typical. <laughs> mm. In terms of your fundraising page and everything, is that still live? Yeah, so I've actually yeah. got um, another one now. Well, okay. One. So basically where I work, with it being Baby Loss Awareness Week between the 9th of October and the 15th, yep. um, I'm asking people in the gym to run either 5, 10 or um, 15K. And when they do, I'm going to get a little tree, um, some pink ribbons, some blue ribbons, and I want them to tie the ribbon to the tree and write their name and how far they went. Mm. Um, but I've put donations up to do it. So um, there's a little donations page as well. Okay. Well, what we'll do with that is if you if you send it over to us, I'll make sure it's in the all the links, everything that we put out on the socials, I'll make sure it's in there. So anyone listening can spare a couple of quid. They can, uh, you know, hopefully put something towards Sans so they can carry yeah. on doing the amazing work that they're doing. 
And you mentioned it then, Baby Loss Awareness Week. When is that again? Just remind us. 9th to the 15th of October. Um, yep. I know on the 15th, Blackpool Tower goes pink and blue. Niagara Falls goes pink and blue. It's a worldwide thing. It's so big. Yeah. You know, like I say, because it's such a taboo subject. Not a lot of people know about it. Um, and everybody on the 15th lights a candle in remembrance of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a really big thing. Um, and it, uh, the weird thing about Hope is she actually passed away on the Monday of Baby Loss Awareness Week last year. Okay. So it's going to be the, the first anniversary. Yeah. So it's, it is going to be the first anniversary within that week. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, so yeah, people like candles and like I say, there's different places lighting up blue and pink uh, throughout the world. I'm not sure if the Eiffel Tower does it as well. They like blue and pink for the for the one night. Mm. And so it is pretty special. Like I say, that the research that goes into these charities, like Sands, and there's another one called Tommy's, 90, a professor wrote that 90,000 pages of research have been written on ovarian cancer. There's 3,000 pages written on baby loss and wow. babies dying early. So it's a big... Yeah, it's a drop in the ocean, really, isn't it? Yeah, in comparison to, let's say, um, your other subjects, which are all very, very much as important. Yeah, of course. But yeah, yeah. This, if this happens one in four people, how is the research so small? So that's why like, I raise the money so that I know mm. the research is being there. I mean, I've found my answers now, you know, right up until a couple of weeks ago, I found out it, it, yeah. it's such a long process. It takes months to find out what goes on. Uh, and I found that there I can reduce the risk phenomenally by finding out what has happened. But again, that's all the research. So I'm going to go on record here. So you've got it down as an audio thing that I will come along and I will do a distance. I'm not going to say what distance. I don't want to commit to that. Yeah. <laughs> but I will do a distance for you on the treadmills and I'll I'll do um I'll do a ribbon and we'll we'll, we'll put some money in as well. Um Thank you so much. To, to make sure that the charity gets something. Um yeah, I'll try and do the max distance, but I've never done it. I've done five and I've done tens, never done fifteen, but I can sort of give it a go to put a decent playlist on to go for it. But I will try <laughs> my best. Um, so you've got that down on record now. So if I don't do it, you can give me a slap or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I'll, I'll try my best. I'll try my best with it. It is throughout uh, October. I have done it for the whole month, like because it oh, is okay. quite distant. Right. So you know there is a little leeway there. Oh, so, it's, um, so you can you, yeah. you can accumulate it. Yeah. Oh, so, I thought you had to do it all in one go. No, I've done it so okay. that people get the whole month as like a monthly challenge. Okay, so. that makes me feel a lot better about it now. To be fair, <laughs> so but no, I will. I'll, I'll try my best with it. And as I say, I'll I'll, I'll take one for the team, and I'll uh, I'll try my best with it um, for for you and for for the charity as yeah. well. But um, the link is, I think it's fundraising.sands.org.uk/slash/fundraisers/slash/kellyjones3912, and that's where you right. can donate. Okay. I'm definitely not going to remember that. Um, so if you can send it over, as I say, I'll put I'll it into the um, <laughs> yeah. I'll put it into the the episode description, and I'll put it online and everything as well with with all the sort of promotional drive that we do for this. Uh, I'll make sure it's in there, and hopefully, as I say, if people have got a spare couple of quid, they can get along and donate to what is a you know a fantastic cause and a fantastic charity. Kelly, you have been absolutely wonderful as a guest on this podcast today. Thank you so much for being so open and honest with all of this. 
Um, as I say, I'll put links to everything, to, to, to any Sans info pages, other baby loss charities and information pages and obviously your uh, your fundraising page uh, within everything that we do. And yeah, you know, if people do want to donate in, in memory of Hope and in memory of Alan, they can go and do so. So thank you so much for coming on and raising awareness. Uh, letting mothers, fathers, anyone else impacted by baby loss know that they are not alone. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and I hope you and your family stay well, Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh.